Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. Lawmakers discussed how California is going to try and prevent catastrophic wildfires during an oversight hearing yesterday. Cap Radio's Scott Rod has more. The state allocated about $1.5 billion for vegetation thinning and forest management this year. It's a record-setting investment. But of course, dollars alone will not prevent wildfires. Democratic Assemblyman Richard Bloom chairs the budget subcommittee that held the oversight hearing. We must ensure that these fuel reduction and community protection projects are done in a timely and equitable manner. Lawmakers called for the hearing after a cap radio investigation found Governor Gavin Newsom significantly overstated his administration's accomplishments on wildfire prevention. After a months-long delay, lawmakers finally got their chance to ask questions. They learned that the governor's program to streamline environmental review is struggling. Helen Kirstein is with the nonpartisan Legislative Analysts Office. We didn't find clear, uh, you know, clear data showing that it had um, had significantly expedited projects. But again, it's it's very early days here. Lawmakers also pressed Cal Fire Chief Tom Porter for real-time data on projects, but he said that's not possible right now. The state system updates on a monthly basis. It will be up to Porter's successor to make that data more readily available. He retires on Friday after three years of leading the department. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Residents in L.A. are avoiding going outside because they don't want to breathe dirty air. That's one of the most recent findings in a USC Dornsife survey. Last year, one in five residents said they stayed inside to avoid wildfire smoke. This year, it was one in two. KCRW's Kaylee Wells has the details. The air quality survey confirmed that climate change is hitting communities disproportionately. Black residents were most likely to say that they don't have air conditioning at home and that they work outdoors unsheltered. Lower income residents were also more likely to experience distress because of a natural disaster like a wildfire or an extreme heat event. The percentage of Angelinos who view climate change as a threat to their health also went up. Interestingly, only 18% of Angelinos believe that their local government is doing enough to fight climate change. Survey director Kyla Thomas says the younger respondents were the most distressed. And younger people, interestingly, are less likely than older people in L.A. to believe that their individual actions will make a difference in fighting climate change. But there's good news, too. Enthusiasm for electric and hybrid vehicles has gone up. Now, nearly half of the respondents said the next time they're in the market, they'll avoid a traditional gas car. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. The state's reparations task force, the first of its kind in the nation, meets today to hear testimony about racism against Black people in the entertainment business. Yesterday, the panel dove into discriminatory housing and infrastructure policies. 
which experts say blocked Black Americans from accumulating wealth and getting ahead. Here's Lisa Holder. She's an attorney and task force member. So many of these 20th century policies around urban renewal that we've always viewed as race neutral are actually just as virulently racist, exclusionary, pernicious and intentional as the type of Jim Crow segregation that we saw in the South. Testimony also covered redlining and the history of building freeways through Black neighborhoods. Advocates also described the impact of the state's current housing crisis on Black communities. The task force is expected to make recommendations for reparations to Black Californians and descendants of enslaved people. A lawsuit filed this week in a California court asks for more than $150 billion in compensation from Meta a.k.a. Facebook, for failing to stop the spread of hate speech on its platform against the Rohingya people in Myanmar. KQED's Rachel Myro has more from our Silicon Valley desk. The class action lawsuit against the parent company of Facebook was brought on behalf of roughly 10,000 Rohingya refugees who've resettled in the U.S. since Facebook entered Myanmar. The complaint alleges the military there weaponized algorithms to whip up anti-Rohingya sentiment online as it conducted a brutal ethnic cleansing campaign, and that Facebook is partially responsible for those who died as a result, as well as those still displaced and impoverished today. Here's plaintiff's attorney Richard Fields. Facebook was not a lone actor. The Myanmar government you know, executed this genocide with their military and with the aid of civilians. But they did that using Facebook's platform with Facebook's knowledge. A Meta spokesperson wrote KQED to say the social media giant has since built a team of Burmese speakers and invested in Burmese language technology to, quote, reduce the prevalence of violating content. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.
With all eyes on COVID and now the Omicron variant, flu season might have skipped your mind, but cases are starting to slowly rise. We're joined this morning by Dr. Maria Raven. She's the chief of emergency medicine at UCSF Health. Good morning, Dr. Raven. Good morning. So what's it like flu season-wise on the front lines? Well, we, as you know, last year saw pretty much zero flu in the emergency department. And now this year, it's been a slow transition, but we are starting to see a few cases. Nothing dramatic, but we are starting to see uh, a little bit of an uptick. Are folks getting their flu shots in pretty typical numbers this year? Is there any reason to think that a lot of the anti-vaccine sentiment floating around out there is preventing folks or pushing folks to be a little more hesitant than usual? I don't necessarily think so. Um, You know, our flu vaccination rates are always a little lower than we'd like them to be, and it's because the flu vaccine is perceived as not being very effective. And that's because there are so many mutations every year and different strains of the flu that it's basically impossible to sort of recreate a perfect flu vaccine every year. But like with the COVID vaccine, what the flu vaccine is quite effective against is preventing hospitalization and death. And as of now, I think that, yes, there are people that have hesitancy around the COVID vaccine. Those people are probably unlikely, frankly, to get the flu vaccine. But apart from that, my guess is that folks that are older, you know, have serious medical conditions. And then, of course, young people who are also unlike COVID, with the flu at high risk of serious illness, are hopefully getting vaccinated at rates that they should be. Again, the vaccination rates with flu are always lower than we'd like them to be regardless of COVID. I think some folks might have kind of put it on the back burner given that last year was so mild. Are you highly recommending that folks do get flu shots, say if people are still working from home, their exposure might not be that high? Oh, absolutely. My sentiment is that there's just really no downside to getting the flu vaccine. Again, if you look at the sort of dangers or the fatality rates with flu compared to COVID, you know, flu is really a, can be a dangerous bug for people that are at high risk, older people, much younger children, people with serious medical conditions. I would strongly, strongly urge every single person to get their flu vaccine this year. I do think we might have a false sense of security because of last year, but this year is already showing that it's going to be a little bit different. Lots of folks are getting their booster shots right now. Do you recommend people doing those in tandem? If you're going to get your booster, should you just go ahead and get your flu shot the same day? Oh, absolutely. It's perfectly fine to do that. It's also extremely convenient. So, you know, if you're going to CVS or Safeway or your physician, wherever you're going to plan to get your COVID booster, um, I would definitely recommend just getting your flu shot at the same time if you haven't already. It just kills two birds with one stone. Got it. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Maria Raven is the chief of emergency medicine at UCSF Health. There's finally a winter storm watch in the forecast tonight in both Lake Tahoe and Mammoth. To find out how the ski season is shaping up, we're joined by Brian Allegretto. He's a forecaster for open snow in both Northern California and Nevada. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Good, thanks. So I have to admit, I'm getting a little nervous about the ski season. I bought a pass this year, but we've had a very dry November. So any chance this current storm is going to help us out? Probably not this storm. It's too small and too cold, but we are tracking storms for next week that could really turn things around completely. What what what, what might we see next week? That's good news. <laughs> so next week, we may have a storm that's very slow moving down the West Coast. 
and it could bring several waves of precipitation into the Sierra and it looks cold. And so a lot of times when we see high precipitation events, we get high snow levels. And right now, fingers crossed, the way everything looks, it could be both cold with snow to lake level and the storm could last for a few days and it could pile up in feet of snow. So we're very hopeful for next week to see a huge turnaround, but lots of cold air behind the small storm Thursday, which will be great for around the clock snowmaking through the weekend for the ski resorts. That's all very good news. Do you have any sense going out even further in terms of how the rest of this year might shape up? It is a La Nina season and they can go either way. We do actually historically over the last 50 years on Donner Summit come in close to average on La Nina seasons when you take the dry ones and the wetter ones. And going into this season though, in any La Nina season, I always err on the side of below average especially for Southern and Central California. For the Northern Sierra, that's where we can see average and slightly above in La Nina more often. And so we're right on that line here in Lake Tahoe. And so I was originally thinking 80 to 90% based on La Nina and some other factors. But we had such a huge start in October with over 400% of average snowfall and literally picked up 10% of our annual average that going into November, I added 10% to that seasonal forecast and went with 90 to 100% of average snowfall. And then what happened when we had a really dry November? How did you do your calculation then? (laughs) So then we started December actually still slightly above average for snowfall because October was so big. And then just in the last couple of days, we've dipped just below average. We're sitting about 86% of average for December 7th. And then we have a little bit of snow coming in the next few days, probably about four to eight inches. That'll keep us in that 85 to 90% range. And then next week it could flip the other way. And that's what people have to understand in California. We get huge storms. Sometimes we get a hundred inches or more sometimes in a week. And so we can go from dirt on the ground to fully open at ski resorts in one storm series. Well, may it be so next week. Thank you so much, Brian, for your time. Yeah, no problem. Brian Allegretto is a snow forecaster for Open Snow and Open Summit. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, December 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, 
MindShift, Right Nowish, and more, all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.